Go ahead and grab a seat, if you will, and grab your Bibles. Also invite you to grab your Mark journal and turn with me to today's date, October the 6th. We're going to dive into a, a rather disturbing and somewhat difficult passage, but I believe, and I'd ask you to listen real carefully for just a moment. I believe this passage may be the passage that God has prepared for since before time began for some of you to hear today. And I I know that sounds like one of those preacher statements. You know preacher statements, right? You hear people talk about preacher count. A preacher count is when you have 10 people, but they add a zero to that number. That's a preacher count. Well, sometimes you hear maybe preacher statements where you hear one thing and you think, oh, that's just, that's hyperbole. I want to be very clear to you. What I believe we learn from this section of Scripture in just a moment may be the thing that you need to hear, maybe not for today, but this will be the moment, something in this text, not because of me, but because of God's Word, is what you need to hear for when you go through a dark moment. Because we're going to look at right now one of the darkest moments, not only of Jesus' life, but of all Scripture. Because I believe it has a principle, actually three, for us today. And so we're going to be diving into Mark chapter 14. And before we, we open it, I do want to just welcome you all. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here. A warm welcome to those who are joining us in the cafe and online. And if you are a guest this morning, I, I just want you to know that we've been going through this series looking at the life of our Savior. We believe Jesus Let me be real clear. We do not believe that Jesus was just a good man. We believe Jesus is the God man. Amen, church? And so we come to him with confidence. And so we've been looking at his life. And you say, why? It's because the Bible calls those who follow Jesus, those who are Christians, there's the word disciple, which simply means someone who goes where their teacher, or in our case, Jesus goes, They do what Jesus did, they say what Jesus said, they believe what Jesus believes so that they can become like Jesus. And so we've been looking at it because we want to not simply know about Jesus, but be like Jesus as a church. And this morning's text, I think, is maybe one of the most practical texts If you'll join me this morning, sort of digging into it here in just a moment. Now, before we look at it, I just want to ask you a very simple question. And you don't even have to raise your hand. Instead, uh, all I need you to do is just give me an oh yeah if this is at all true in your life. Are you ready? So here's the question. Have you ever been under pressure? Can I get an oh yeah from anyone? Oh my, oh yeah. Now maybe for some of you you're going, uh, what kind of pressure? Well, maybe it's the pressure of time. You have less time and more life. Any of you in the child-rearing years, know that pressure. Or maybe for some of you, it's the pressure of finances. You have more month than you have money. And at the end, you wish you could sort of cut off the month to keep it within the money, but you can't seem to do it. So you have that kind of pressure. And then others in here, I heard something just a moment before coming up. My wife leaned over and shared with me uh, about a member in our church who's going to have to have surgery again. And, And there's the pressure of health. And some in here, you know that pressure of it's like, man, I can never get out of the hospital for more than a couple weeks. Then there are others in here, you're going, I'm not facing those pressures. Maybe the pressure you're feeling is one much deeper in the heart. It's the pressure of relationship. Maybe, 
Maybe you are not a parent, but you really wish you were a parent, and so there's this gnawing pressure. Maybe you find yourself with your years going, and you go, my time for having kids is getting short, and you feel a pressure. For others, you have children, but you feel as though you don't, because there's a distance, there's a gap, and so you feel this pressure. For others in here, maybe you're married, and there's this pressure within the marriage, and it's just a really difficult season, or maybe you're not married and you feel pressure to be married, or, or maybe you're just in this season where you don't know where you are, what you're going through, and you just feel this great sense of weight. We recently did a survey of our community, and one of the key findings that we noticed is that people in our community, and in fact in this church, one of the number one challenges or concerns is simply this sense of anxiety and worry. Another word for all that is pressure. And we're going to look at a moment of great pressure in the life of Jesus and what he calls those who will trust him into. And so I'm going to invite you to stand with me now as we read God's word from Mark chapter 14. Go ahead and stand. If you have your Bible, you can follow along there. If not, we have the great Bible in the sky, and you're welcome to look on the screens behind me for this. This is what it says. They, this is talking about Jesus and his disciples, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus says to his disciples, you sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of, say this word with me, death. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, Jesus fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father. By the way, that word Abba is, is not just an old band. That's actually a word, an Aramaic word for daddy. So he's saying, daddy, father, everything is, what's this word, church? Possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Which, by the way, isn't that a funny thing to say to someone who's asleep? Are you asleep? A couple nights ago, I woke up and my son is standing almost over my bed looking at me. And you know those moments, parents, where you feel the eyes of your kids before you actually can see them? And, it's, and I hear this little voice, Dad. Maybe it wasn't that terrifying, but at 2 a.m., everything's terrifying. And so he says, to, I don't know what that has to do with anything. He says, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one Hour, watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing. Oh, how true this is. But the flesh is weak. Once more, Jesus went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them, that's the disciples, sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, okay, so just real quick, Jesus has gone not once, not twice, but now three times to pray, and each time he's now come back to the followers, and they're sound asleep each time, no matter what he says to them. But so returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, another phrase, this actually is better translated, oh, forget it. It's just like, okay, that's it, who cares, it doesn't matter. Enough, the hour has 
come. Look, the Son of Man, that's the title Jesus uses for himself, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let, notice this little word, this is a real important word for our text. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And on that cheery note, let's pray together. Dear Lord, I I thank you that you are with us this morning. That although this text takes place before your crucifixion, Jesus, we as your people stand on the other side, not only of the cross, but of your resurrection. And today, as we look back in time at this text, we do so with a God who is now raised. Lord, would you raise our gaze this morning and give us a picture for how to follow you well, even in times of pressure. We pray this now in Jesus' name, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So here's where we find ourselves, church. The entire narrative of Mark has been leading up to this moment where Jesus would be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now, we don't have time to read the text, but immediately after this, Judas, one of Jesus' hand-picked, hand-chosen twelve, comes with an army of men with swords and clubs to arrest Jesus in secret. Jesus is put on trial in secret. He is accused. He is lied against. He is sentenced to death in secret. And within less Then 24 hours he is dead and buried in a tomb from this moment. This is a big moment for Jesus and everything is getting dark. Jesus has just finished eating what was known as the Passover. It was this high holy festival that he and all Hebrews celebrated once a year where they commemorated God's deliverance of his people out of slavery from Egypt centuries earlier. And how God was the God of the rescue. How many of us this morning are grateful that we serve a God of the rescue? Anyone in here grateful that God is the God of rescue? And so Jesus now has finished celebrating this. And during the meal, you remember, he took the bread that was very familiar to them. He changes its meaning. If you weren't here Wednesday night, I invite you to go listen to the podcast. He changes it. He brings something new to it. He takes the cup And he changes the meaning of the wine. And now afterward, they leave Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, and they go down through the Kidron Valley to the east and then back up into a place called the Mount of Olives. This is a picture of the Mount of Olives. It would not have been daylight, although most people agree that the time of month that this took place because of when the Passover took place, it almost always fell during a full moon. And so Jesus, although at night, would have seen where he was going through the familiar trails down the Kidron up onto the Mount of Olives with the moon pouring in through these giant trees. At his meal, he predicted someone would betray him, someone he loved, someone he had chosen. Some point in the meal, according to other gospel accounts, a man named Judas leaves and he goes into the city. As Jesus is leaving, Judas is going the other direction because that's what it means to be disobedient. It means to not follow the way of Jesus. And so Judas goes and he rounds up his group of men, these soldiers, those who will betray Jesus. And while he is preparing to betray, Jesus is preparing to die. And he goes to the Mount of Olives. But specifically, we're told in verse 32, they don't just go generally to the Mount of Olives. 
But they go to a specific place in the Mount of Olives called Gethsemane. Gethsemane was a place that Jesus evidently had been before because according to another gospel account, it's this sense of his returning to this place. And he says in verse 34 that his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That moment where everything you hoped for, everything you dreamt of, everything that maybe you desired is just coming, crashing down. Maybe you've had that moment. And I just want to ask you this morning as you consider where you are, have you ever been to Gethsemane yourself? And I'm not asking, have you hopped on a plane and gone overseas? Because you understand Gethsemane is not simply in the Middle East. Gethsemane is any place where you have felt the pressure of the world crashing down on you because the word Gethsemane comes from two Hebrew words which mean oil press. Isn't it interesting that Jesus goes to the place of pressing where the olives are pressed and it is there that he is pressed. Now, for those of you who want just a flavor of the space, this was a giant olive space, hence the Mount of olives. And within the Mount of Olives would be areas where they would then prepare those olives. And the process for producing oil was really a two-part process. After you collected the ripe black olives, by the way, there's such heavy symbolism. The olives are black. You take the olives and two-part process. First part, they would take them and they'd put the uncrushed olives in here because you can't press until you crush. And they would crush the olives using this large millstone. Usually a a donkey or some animal would be pushing it around until these olives that are hard would be crushed to a paste. They would then take that paste and they would lay them in baskets in the sides around it, almost like an inner tube tire. And it has a hole in the bottom. And they'd lay a heavy stone or sequence of stones on top and they would press down until the oil would flow from the olives. This picture is not a very good one because the actual oil looked very dark. It was almost black. Interestingly enough, that Christ, according to Matthew's account, sweat drops of blood from the pressure he was under. And we know that in less than 24 hours, his blood would flow under the pressure of death that he took for our sins. Now, in the ancient world, they would press an olive three times. The first pressing was the best, and they would use the oil from that pressing for temple use. In the Old Testament, this is where they were called to bring their first fruits, their best to the Lord, and to be used in temple. The temple was all about sacrifice. Something would die, something would be given so that those of us who sinned would not die. Something dying in our place, so the first press was for the temple use. The second pressing was for food and medicine, meaning you'd use it for your home use. Medicine, soothing wounds, food, eating. Isn't it interesting that in recent years we've discovered that Eating a little olive oil is actually good for one's heart, and there's something to this. And then the third press would be used for oil, for lamps, and for soap. How many of you are grateful for soap? How many of you are grateful that other people have discovered soap? And so there are three pressings. 
And it's interesting that it's in this place of pressing that Jesus goes and he begins to weep out his prayer to God. He is simply uttering that which is pouring from him. In fact, you notice the language. He goes there and he begins to pray, but before he even utters his first words, we're told in verse 35 that he fell to the ground. Have you ever been in a place where you felt so pressed you just fell? It didn't matter what you, could, what you did, you just, your knees buckled under the weight of life. And maybe, maybe you didn't physically fall, but you know the moments where something has gone wrong and you hold a, a tough exterior, but inside we will use words like, my world fell apart. This is where Jesus went when the world was pressing in. And it's in this place where Jesus cries out. And there's so many reasons that maybe you've been pressed and And I just want us to talk for a moment here because the reality is if you have never been pressed, means you're probably only about four or five years old. But if you've never been pressed in life, you will be pressed. Can I get an uh uh-huh from anyone who's ever lived? If you haven't been pressed, you will be. And if you aren't being pressed right now, you will be. There are going to be moments of pressing. And there are a lot of reasons for this. There's one reason. Maybe it's because of what you've done or what I've done, right? Some of us are in times of pressing because I or you have made bad choices. We've made mistakes. We said something that we shouldn't have said in that moment when we were mad and it just, it made everything fall. Or or maybe you were not honest at work and now you're feeling the pressure. Or maybe you have not been entirely faithful to your spouse and there's a press. Or maybe... You have this anger that you just don't control and it just keeps bubbling out and so now you're feeling the pressure because of what you've done. That's one of the reasons we might feel pressed. The other reason is not what I've done but what others have done. Have you, have you ever experienced pressure because of what someone else did? I love this one when someone, and I had a friend tell me recently at his job, they'd been working and working, working on one project when his immediate supervisor came in and laid a massive project on their desk and said, this has to be done in two days and one of the coworkers asked the immediate supervisor, he said, we'll do our best. When did you learn about this? And because the immediate supervisor had not been prepared, he, he kind of just said, oh, about three weeks ago. His issue, his problem began to press on my friend. So some of us in here, you have been pressed, not because of yourself, but because of other people. I was talking to a friend, it's been about four years ago, and as we were talking, she and her husband and I were visiting and she began to explain that she has dealt with this guilt and this shame because of some things that were done to her by a man who she trusted as a young child. And so now she's experiencing the press because of what another person has done. So there's sometimes we're, we're pressed because of what we've done or what other people have done. And then there's just the pressing of a broken world. I'm sick and tired of this one word. Some of you have heard this. Some of you have been told this word by your doctors. Let let me see if you know this word. It's the C word. It's cancer. Any of you know someone who's been pressed because of the brokenness of the world? And here's what happens. Jesus is in this place of pressing, and he's not pressed because of anything he's done. Rather, it's because of what he chooses to do that allows himself to be pressed by others. He comes in and he is pressed by what's happening and he begins to pray this prayer, Abba, Father. He's not praying to the band. He's talking to his daddy, God, Abba, Father. 
Everything is possible for you. Take, and he says this phrase, this cup from me. This cup, this cup, what is this cup? Jesus, what is this that you're talking about that is creating such a pressure on your heart? Well, the cup in the Old Testament referred to the cup of God's wrath being filled because of every sin, every misdeed, every mistake, every moment that we have done something wrong. The cup of God's wrath was filling. And Jesus now is about to drink the cup that is meant for you and for me. See, there's a punishment, there's a consequence, there's a price for sin, isn't there? By the way, let me just do a little pause here. Sometimes people say, why can't God just forgive? And I've used this illustration before, but let me just do it again. Suppose I come to your house, and uh, you know, I'm just walking around clumsily like I might do at times, and I bump into one of your lamps, and it falls over, shatters. And it's the only lamp you have in that particular room. I have broken something of yours. Now, there's a couple of options. Option one is you say to me, Josh, that'll be $100. You broke it, you buy it, you get me a new one. There's a price for what I did. Or the other option is that you pay for it. Because you have two options. One is you just don't actually buy a new lamp, and so now you're paying the price for what I broke. And so you're sitting in a dark room, and you're going, so now you pay the price for what I did. Or what about this third one? Or you actually have to go and use your own money to pay for a new lamp. Here's my point. When people say, why can't God just forgive? Why can't God just let it go? You understand that there has been something broken and someone pays for what is broken. And so the cup of God's wrath is now being handed not to you or me, but Jesus says, I will take it in myself. I will drink the cup, but it is hitting him that to drink the cup of God's wrath is not simply death, but The consequence of you and I sinning against God is separation from God. And Jesus, to drink the cup of God's wrath is to be separated from God. Do you see the weight of what he's feeling? Jesus, who has never been separated from God in all of eternity, who loves him more deeply, is now for the first time going to be separated and it hits him like a ton of bricks and he crumples and says, please, let there be another way, let there be another way, let there be another way. And it hits him, it crumples him. I was thinking about this the other day, that have you ever drunk something that really just tasted horrible? Any of you ever? Here, here, here's my story. I remember I was probably nine, eight, somewhere in there. We'd been on a family trip. And I remember before we left on the trip, we had had a pretty good breakfast. Now, growing up, uh, our family was a milk-drinking family. Any of you milk-drinking families in here? And so there's always a glass of milk on the table. And I remember I drank mine, but I didn't drink all of the milk. I'd left it on the counter. And so we go off to grandma's house. We're gone for about a week. We get back home, three-hour drive. I'm thirsty because in dad's car, no one drank anything because we were not stopping. That's not an exaggeration. We went on long trips and anyway. So we get back home and I'm thirsty. And I remember I was so thirsty. I knew that I had the cup of milk. I just didn't realize at that young age that milk does this little thing called turn green and lumpy. After about a week, and I grabbed that, and without looking, I just chugged it down. And, and mom said that it was like this unholy fountain coming back up later. <laughs> and Jesus is told, you drink the cup of every dirty thing that has ever been done. But according to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53, we're told that he was crushed, that he was pierced, that he was 
placed under the weight of what we did. And Jesus then says, not my will, but your will, God. I will drink the cups of Josh Diggs. And all those who will ever live does not have to drink the cup. So he's crushed under the weight of this. Now, here's what I want you to see. There are three pressings, and you and I get to receive the three blessings from Jesus' pressings. He goes to the cross, and what happens? Because he is pressed, he is the sacrifice that gives us life, meaning you don't have to die for what you've done. He steps up and says, I will pay the price for everything you have ever done because of what Jesus did. He is the food and medicine to us. He feeds us. Jesus says that he is the bread of life. You will not survive without eating. You can go a few days, but you go a month or a year, you're not going to make it. He is the bread that our souls crave. Not only that, he heals us. We're told in Isaiah, again, 53, that by his wounds, we are healed. He is the medicine to our soul. And the third blessing we receive is that Jesus is the light of the world. He brings light into the darkness, and he is the one who cleanses us from all unrighteousness. This is not simply a picture. This is the reality of what Christ does on the cross for you and for me. Now, I know at this point, most of us are going, that's a great little history lesson. I got it. You've got three pressings and three blessings. How about an amen? Let's go eat lunch. Or some of you are going, hey, hey, that's all fine and good, but what does this mean to me? Because, Josh, I'm still in the pressing. I'm still struggling with what's going on. What? You said this is going to help me. All right, grab a pen, grab a piece of paper. I want you to jot down three things. I want to give you three principles. If we had more time, I'd unpack this further, but we don't. So just take these quickly. Here they are. They're three things. Three press principles from Jesus, because if you have not gone through a press, you will. If you're not in a pressing, you will be. And I know you're saying, well, that's not cheery. I know, but here's what the gospel gives you. It gives you the strength to stand even when life breaks. And I don't want to convey to you that life is always going to be easy because that is a bait and switch. Hey, come to Jesus and it's all good. No, it's not all good, but he is all good when you come to him. And so I want to give you three press principles for when you face the press. Here's the first one. You can't always predict or prevent the press, but you can prepare for it. You can't always predict or prevent the press, but you can prepare for it. Jesus could predict this was happening. One of you is going to betray me. But he could not or chose not to prevent it, for preventing the press would mean that your sins and mine would not be taken from us. See, you can't always prevent or predict the press, but you can prepare. Well, how do you prepare? Do what Jesus did. You pray. Spend time with God today preparing for the press. And you say, well, well, where do we get that? Well, he goes to God multiple times and notice the familiarity he has with God. He doesn't just say, dear God. And that's a fine thing to address the Lord as. He doesn't even just say, dear Father. But he speaks to him, daddy, with such intimacy and such familiarity that is only bred through frequency with God. Here's a reality that some of you need to write down. It's not on the screen, but you may want to write this down. You cannot fake preparation. How many of you have ever had to take a test in school that you were not prepared for? And all the students' hands go up. 
They're the honest ones in church today. I love that. You're not prepared for the press. You're not ready for it. So what do you do? You fake it. And what have you been taught? If it's a multiple choice, you just kind of say, well, C, 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 C. I'll get at least one right. Or, or maybe if it's essay, how many of you did this? You just try to you know, just keep writing and writing and writing, hoping that a few of your sentences would actually be what the teacher wanted. You do your best, but you cannot fake preparation. Or how about this? Uh, have you ever said, I'm going to run a marathon, but then you don't go out and run, but you tell everyone you've been running? You can't fake preparation because when the day comes, you're not ready for the marathon. What you do is today, you practice who you want to be. Tomorrow, you get with God. And here's what you need. If you want to be prepared, you need a time and a place. You need a time and a place. Every morning or every afternoon or every evening, you need a time and a place. This is where I go to meet with God. I have a friend who loves to walk and he told me not too long ago, he said, Josh, for years I've been walking this one path. And, and what he would do is he would actually have different trees representative of different things he's praying for throughout the years. And whenever he'd have an issue with his relationships, he'd go to the relationship tree and he'd put a little mark on it. And he said whenever it, God would answer that prayer years later or if God would help or whatever, he'd come back and he'd do a little horizontal dash so you had the vertical and the horizontal he said these trees were markers of God's faithfulness to my prayers you need a time and you need a place to begin your language of saying Abba Father because you can't predict or prevent every press but you can prepare for it here's a second principle that Jesus shows us the blessing follows the pressing the blessing follows the pressing I think it's so interesting that so many of us want to get away from the press, but it's actually after the pressing that the blessing comes. The oil is the produce of the press over the olives. And I'm thinking about in my life, and maybe you've seen this in your own life, the pressing, although you don't like going through it, is what gets you all the great returns in your life. So let me just give you a couple examples. Some of you are athletes. It's after the pressing of exercise and practice that you get the blessing of a win. Or, or how about this? For some of you moms, how many of you remember that moment of pressing where the doctor said, okay, push? The pressing came before the blessing. And then the dad said, put it back, put it back. But the blessing follows the pressing. This is true spiritually as well. That it's as we go through and as our will is crushed, as our, 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 our vanity is broken, often it's after we have been pressed that we are then blessed. You say, well, what about those horrible things that happen? What about the people who are abused? How can you say that there's a blessing from the pressing? The same young lady I told you about that I visited with a couple years ago, the great news is, after God's grace and work in her, she has now begun a ministry that helps other young women especially, but young people and young women who have been abused to find healing and help. And I was talking to her not too long ago, and I said, how's it going? She said, you know, as horrible as that was, and as I would never want to go through it again, she said, by the grace of God, I am able to share what I went through so that others can find healing, not 10, 20, 30 years later, but quicker they find healing, hope, and life. The blessing came from the pressing. I have another friend named Mark. He was in law enforcement for a number of years. And Mark, good man, but he got, just frankly, he, he kind of got turned around with some drugs. 
He was arrested once, and then he was, because of certain things, he was freed, but he got back into it, and then they threw the book at him. And he went through a season of pressing. And like this girl I just told you about, one of the things that Mark says, he came out of it, his life has turned around, and he's begun a ministry for others who are dealing with addiction and to find healing and hope. Here's the thing. Not every pressing is a good thing, but God is able to bring good out of every pressing. There is blessing after the pressing. And number three, let me just give this to you. You don't have to face it alone. Here's the beautiful thing that I love about this passage. The thing that weighed down Jesus' heart was that he was going to be separated from God by taking on my sin. He was going to be parted from the Father. Not forever, but he would be parted. And yet, he did that. Hear me now. He did that. So that everyone after him, when facing the press, would not have to face it alone. You see, Jesus was separated from God so that you and I would never have to be. And so when we come to him today, wherever you're at, whatever's going through, you're able to do it not on your own, but with God. And when you say, Daddy, it hurts, he goes, yeah, I know. My boy went through something similar. God, people are are leaving me. I feel abandoned. I feel betrayed. He goes, yeah, yeah, I know. My son went through that as well. I've lost everything, the respect of my peers. I I don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah, my my boy went through it. God, my relationships. Yeah, my, my boy. But God, I'm penniless. Yeah, my boy. But God, my health. Yeah, my boy. And God says, I know what you're going through and you do not have to go alone. This is the principle of the press that although you may go through the press, you do not have to go through it alone. 